Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher. Welcome to While You Were Folding. I created this podcast to continue the conversations about the things that matter in domestic life. I'm a Catholic homeschooling mother of six. My husband, Philip, is a pediatrician, and we've been married for 14 years. I've learned a lot, usually in messy or painful ways, and I have so much more to learn. I'm excited to share this episode with you, and I hope you'll add your voice to the next one. I pray before I record every episode that God will use this podcast to inspire each of us to holiness in our vocations as wives, mothers, and his beloved daughters, and that you will go on to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's jump in. Today is super special because I have two wonderful guests joining us. I have Jamie and Steph, and they are both licensed. So I'm going to mess up the terminology right off the bat. So do I refer to both of you as a licensed pelvic floor physical therapist, or maybe you need to introduce yourselves? Um, yeah, let's just do that. You can both introduce yourselves, give us your official credentials, because I'm messing it up already. And then tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into pelvic floor physical therapy. Yeah, well, I'm Jamie Wilson, and um, I'm a physical therapist. So my credentials are a doctor of physical therapy with a special specialization in pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, that's a lot of words, pretty much I'm a physical therapist and love all things pelvic floor. Um, and I have been practicing PT for 10 years now with about five of those years focused in pelvic floor physical therapy. I am mom of my three-year-old Jack and I'm pregnant, currently pregnant with my second, we're having a little girl expected early next month. So we're very excited about that. Um, have been married to my wonderful husband for five years and, um, just really right now trying to figure out work-life balance. I love what I do, um, for my job. I love my family and, um, just kind of in the position with all the other moms out there trying to make it all work. And, um, it's been, it's been a journey and still learning. And um, I'm excited to talk with your guests, your viewers today to um, tell more about our world of pelvic floor. Awesome. Well, I'll let Steph introduce herself. And then after that, I would love to hear both of your backgrounds in terms of how you got into physical therapy and all of that. But Steph, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am Stephanie Erbaum. Um, I'm married to my husband, John. We are about to celebrate our 12th wedding anniversary on New Year's Eve. Yay! Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> we have three sons, Henry, Theo, and Jack. Um, and I am, at, like Jamie, also a licensed physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, I also specialize in lymphedema therapy and um, spent some time early on in my career with um, breast cancer rehabilitation, cancer rehab, um, kind of in that world. So um, I, yeah, I think, how'd you get into pelvic? I got into pelvic floor PT. Oh, I wrote this one down. So oh, good. We've got notes, ladies. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so our two oldest sons, Henry and Theo are 16 months apart. Um, and after I had our boys, I just felt like my body was broken. 
And even though I was a physical therapist myself, I didn't really know. Um, I didn't feel like I had the tools to uh, resolve the issues that I was experiencing personally. So um, I decided to go and get further training so that I could not only help myself, but help um, other women who might be going through kind of the same struggles I was going through. And Stephanie, before you had had your boys so close together. So my oldest, my two oldest, we have six kids, but our two oldest are 15 months apart. So I can relate big time with what you're talking about. But even though you had the physical therapy background, had you had much training or knowledge with pelvic floor physical therapy specifically, or when you go to PT school, is it kind of like when you're going to learn about different areas of medicine, where unless you decide to specialize in a certain area, you might not have that kind of exposure? Yeah, I think we had uh, one, two lectures maybe on pelvic floor therapy. Sorry, my phone thinks that I'm talking to Siri. I think it's because I said the word certain. I don't know if the audio cut out there. Did you, were you able to hear what I said? Yes. Okay. Sorry. No. So I think, um, we maybe had one or two lectures in physical therapy school, uh, about pelvic floor, uh, rehab. And I think at that time that was still like referred to as women's health. Yeah. You were a women's health physical therapist. Don't we all have pelvises people? We, we do. Yes. So to answer your question, no, we didn't have a ton of training, um, specifically in this area of the body. So it was something where, you know, if you wanted to specialize in that area, you had to take it upon yourself to do the continuing education um, to get to that specialty. Okay. And what about you, Jamie? How did you first start to develop an interest in pelvic floor physical therapy? Yeah, mine, um, when you're in PT school, you go through rotations and you follow, um, a clinical instructor for eight weeks or various times, depending upon what school you go to. And so one of the instructors PTs that I followed was doing at the time, really what we called women's health. Um, and that's where I was exposed to it the most. Like Stephanie said, it was just briefly touched upon in school. I hope, and I think that they're doing a better job now of incorporating it into the curriculum. Um, but this was, 10 plus years ago that we were in school. So, mm -hmm. um, but I was exposed then really enjoyed it. It was very rewarding, um, seeing how much you could help people with problems. They thought that could never be fixed. Um, yeah. but you get out of school, you're kind of overwhelmed. You're mid twenties. People are looking at you as the young professional you are that I, um, just kind of stuck with my orthopedic background. Um, but a few years into it, I realized I'm missing something, you know, a piece of this puzzle. I was sometimes referring off to a different pelvic floor therapist in town. Um, cause I just felt like I wasn't quite getting patients where I wanted to get them and made me realize I need to learn this information myself. So I actually started my pelvic floor journey, um, before I had my son, but then after I had my son, it really catapulted my, uh, uh, desire to learn more and to help more people. You know, luckily sure. I didn't struggle with pelvic floor issues prior to pregnancy. Um, so that wasn't a part of, but afterwards for sure, you know, and it was postpartum was hard. Um, and that's when I really kind of took 
that deep dive into almost doing it exclusively as our practice. So nice. Yeah. So then the two of you, I was playing around on your website last night for empower physical therapy. Um, it sounds like the two of you, was it an undergrad that you met and then continued on both to PT school? Is that right? Correct. Yep. Jamie and I worked as um, physical therapist techs at the same clinic here in Lincoln while we were in undergrad. Um, Jamie graduated from the University of Nebraska, <clears throat> excuse me, and I graduated from Westland. So we weren't in school together, but we worked together. Um, and then we got into physical therapy school at the same time. So we roomed together our first year. Um, Jamie made the most beautiful study handouts. <laughs> I am still like, I, I know you don't have them anymore, do you? No. Oh, they were so beautiful. Um, but then <laughs> I got engaged after our first year, so I moved back to Lincoln. Um, and then we graduated the same year, and we both started practicing here in Lincoln, but we were just at two different facilities. Um, you know, we kept connection over the years, just kept in touch um, personally, professionally. And when COVID hit, um, I just kept bothering Jamie, <laughs> kind of poking nice. her like, hey, I think we should just do this, you know, like let's take the leap. Let's, let's, um, open our own place. So, um, in October, November of 2020, we decided to, uh, take the leap and by April 1st of 2021, our doors were open. So are you for real? April 1st was opening day, April fool's day. I love it. That's amazing. And you started all of it during a pandemic. Yes. Because why not? I, I love everything about your story. That's fantastic. So I'd love for us to rewind a little bit and talk about kind of the, what do they call it? The 30,000 foot view of something where you give us the big picture of what pelvic floor physical therapy entails. Cause I think there's so much of a misconception. My audience is predominantly moms and young ish women, whatever that means. Um, So I know we're going to get to a lot of questions about postpartum or even during pregnancy questions about physical therapy and healing. Um, But I think there's a lot of, I don't think a lot of people realize that you see a lot of pediatric um, pelvic floor stuff. And you also see men coming in to deal with different issues. So maybe could you give us the big scope of what all is entailed when you're talking about pelvic floor physical therapy? And I should say all of my questions are directed to both of you. So unless I specifically address one of you, either of you, please feel free to take the baton. And if both of you want to weigh in great, or if you feel like one of you just totally nailed it and you don't have anything to add, then that's great too. Yeah, we work good as a team. Usually Seth gets what I forget. So <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, perfect. It's like a marriage at work. That's great. It really is. It yes. works a little yin and yang. It works perfect. Um, so pelvic floor physical therapy um, is kind of a more specialized area where we're looking at the muscles of the pelvic floor. Um, and those muscles of the pelvic floor, like a sling or a hammock that sit at the bottom of our pelvis. There are important functions to those muscles. They help with supports. They help support our pelvic organs. They help us pee and poop when we want to and not when we don't want to. They help with stability. So when we think about like our core, um, like strengthening our core, working our core, it's a part of our core. 
They help with sexual function. So arousal and um, achieving orgasm. And then they also help with circulation. So allowing um, lymphatic fluid to be directed back towards our heart. So there's a lot happening there, but the pelvis is also a part of the rest of our body. So when we say we're doing pelvic floor physical therapy, yes, we are looking at the pelvis and the muscles around the pelvis, but we're still looking at you from a head to toe approach because our body works as a full system and not just in isolation. So um, with that being said, everyone has a pelvic floor, men, women, children, geriatrics. It doesn't matter if you've had a baby or haven't had a baby. Truly, anyone can experience dysfunction in their pelvic floor. And so we do, we treat all of the above, um, men and women um, across the age spectrum with, you know, whether they've given birth or haven't. Um, so I think that is what you already touched upon, a big misconception. Do we see a lot of postpartum and pregnant women? A hundred percent. We see a ton, but um, we, we also see um, a few men here and there. <laughs> it's already mm -hmm. hard, I think, sometimes for women to talk about some of these issues that are maybe a little uncomfortable to talk about, um, but it's even harder for men. Um, and a lot of the things we work with are issues of bladder and bowel issues. So urinary incontinence, urinary leakage, peeing your pants when you cough or sneeze or jump or run or kind of that urgency where you have to pee and you can't make it to the bathroom. You start to lose control of your bladder, um, fecal incontinence. So, you know, involuntary um, kind of leakage of poop, you know, when not ready. Um, pelvic organ prolapse, which you've had a long discussion on it in your interview. Yes. Uh, we, we help with all the different forms of pelvic organ prolapse. Constipation. Um, oh yes. Constipation is a huge one. Any of our pain, pelvic pain. So pain with, um, whether a pelvic exam, um, during intercourse pain with tampon use, um, ongoing low back pain, SI pain, tailbone pain, um, injuries that might happen during birth, um, C-section recovery. Um, and then we also, you know, have some patients just chronic pain who've maybe been diagnosed with endometriosis, um, or have had a hysterectomy or different type of abdominal procedures, surgical procedures. We see them as well. So it's not just women who pee their pants. You know, right. I think that's a lot of what we, people think like that's the only only reason I would go to pelvic floor PT. It's such a broader scope. Mm -hmm. And we've helped a lot of people who've had issues that they didn't think were related to their pelvic floor that are actually driven through their muscles or nerves of their pelvic floor. Sure. Um, and I'm trying to think what else um, we do here at our clinic at Empower Physical Therapy. Um, we if with consent, of course, would, and if they are age appropriate, would do an internal assessment of the pelvic floor. So that includes either a vaginal or rectal approach to figure out what's going on with the muscles of the pelvic floor. Because like we will sometimes say, pelvic floor therapy is orthopedics in a cave. For us to know yeah. what's going on with those muscles, we, have, we, we want to be able to feel them. And that takes an internal approach. And we feel like that's what gives us the best answers. So we've had some people who've 
maybe done some pelvic floor therapy, but haven't had internal work. And um, for us, we feel like that's maybe a disservice to the patient because you haven't really fully assessed. But um, of course, that would only be with patients who are consenting to that. But we find that's where we get our best information and can fully um, address patient issues and help them, you know, towards their goals and road to recovery. Yeah. Stephanie, did you have anything to add to that? Cause I have, I think five follow-up questions <laughs> to everything that Jamie just said, but I want to give you a chance to talk. You said, go ahead. Fire away. Okay. Yeah. okay. Here we go. So as a mom, immediately when you said the word constipation, I thought, oh, I'm sure that's a huge pediatric issue that you deal with. And oh my gosh, Siri thinks that I'm constantly talking to her. She just really wants to butt into our conversation here. Um, Anyway, so where I was going with that is in the world of pediatric pelvic floor physical therapy, what kinds of issues beyond constipation would you say moms, parents should be aware of that could be an area of concern? What kinds of symptoms, things do kids present with that might be a signal? Oh, maybe I should consider this for one of my kiddos. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times it can be bedwetting, you know, past the age of five or six, um, that can be a little, some kids will grow out of it, you know, um, and that is an approach you can take, but, um, also they might not. So with pelvic, with pelvic floor physical therapy, this is a conservative approach in my brain. It's if we can do something about it and maybe help it, that's where I'd like to start instead of just do the waiting game. Um, but also, like I said, some kids will grow out of it on their own, but bedwetting is a big one for a lot of families, um, that get frustrated. And as kids get older, they can't go to sleepovers. They're very self-conscious about the smell. Um, there's also, um, incontinence kids can also pee their pants or poop their pants without, um, involuntarily. Um, and that can be constipation driven. A lot of these things are actually constipation driven. Um, but we have some young female athletes who do gymnastics, volleyball, who pee their pants, you know, which just that's as much as you might hear about it in women and that it's common, it's not normal. So it's something that we want to look at their body to figure out what's going on here. How can we help them, especially starting now. So this doesn't become a bigger issue, you know, further down the road. Right. For sure. And then when it comes to, um, I know you already touched on this a little bit, Jamie, but with male patients in particular, I know, well, you already said it was considered women's physical therapy. Is that what the title was for pelvic floor? Yeah. So like you said, there's this embarrassment and stigma that women might have behind the, oh, I pee my pants when I get on a trampoline or when I'm laughing or whatever. But then I imagine it must be so much more so for the men who might think, yeah, I'm having these issues, but I didn't birth a baby or have any of those traumatic experiences to my pelvis, but it's still happening for men. So again, what kinds of symptoms or things should the male listeners or our spouses, if they're not listening to while you were folding, <laughs> what would you say to them? So we just touched upon constipation in children, but constipation can be an issue with men as well. Um, urinary incontinence, urinary frequency, um, 
we see pelvic pain, any type of like erectile dysfunction, um, premature ejaculation is another uh, issue that we can help with men. Um, and then our patients that have um, gone through prostate surgery, uh, you know, radiation um, due to those surgical procedures. So those are kind of probably the most common things that we see uh, our male patients for. But again, this could be something in the male population that maybe they've got chronic low back pain and they've tried conservative physical therapy and, you know, they get better, but it, there's just still something there. Um, mm -hmm you know, that might be another clue that the pelvic floor should be assessed and addressed. I think one thing to add there is like a fall, a hard fall on your tailbone can really cause a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, the pelvic floor muscles come and attach onto the coccyx, the tailbone. And so that can happen in anyone, even at a younger age and develop to symptoms further down the road. So that can be children, women, men, you know, anyone can fall on their tailbone, a bad injury like that. Um, so that's could be included as well. Sure. Yeah. And I love what you had to say, Jamie, about it being so about the whole body. It's holistic that you're not just isolating the pelvic floor because you can't, because even when I came in to see Jamie for my first appointment, I was so embarrassed when she was talking about breathing because who knew I didn't know how to breathe correctly. And that that was so important for my pelvic floor health. And it's huge. And it has totally transformed so many things, but I never would have thought that that would be something that we would be discussing in pelvic floor physical therapy, but it makes, it's per, it makes perfect sense. Of course we would talk about that because it's all a united system, right? Exactly. And you're not alone. You're not the only one who doesn't know Thanks. how to breathe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even after coming and seeing Jamie for now, what I think it's been four months or something like that, I still will find myself breathing incorrectly. And I have to, it's such a mental reset for myself. So I just love that we're having this conversation because I think one, we're trying to get rid of the stigma that so many people have about, oh, I should be embarrassed about this thing. I mean, if anyone's the champion of not being embarrassed about talking about, I peed my pants and I'm struggling and I sought out help and it's way better now, it's me. Um, but I think the other thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about before we moved on, I had asked Jamie a question. So when you're at a cocktail party and I know Jamie being pregnant, you're at a lot of those right now. Um, but when you are at a cocktail party or just a social gathering, um, and someone asks you, what do you do, how you answer? And I loved your answer. Do you remember what you told me? I, you know, I think I do. And I, um, my response is sometimes I help people keep with peeing, pooping, and sex. Yes. That's exactly yeah. what you told me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really just simplified version of my, of our world, yeah. but that's really what it, you know, that, that's a lot of what we do. And then people look at me like, um, <laughs> am I going to keep talking right. to her? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. But let's get here. real. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you hear someone say that you think those are some really important things right there. Oh. And if you're struggling with those things, let's get it fixed and yeah. let's address it and have a frank conversation about it so that we can move on and, and be healthy. They, that's when they pull us to the side later and start yeah. telling us about, uh -huh. you know, like, yep. don't want to do it in the big group, but they'll, yeah. like, well, you know, I, 
I have a friend, (laughs) but no, (laughs) this Um, hypothetical friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People people do. And we really do appreciate you being open and talking about it because once people start opening up and talking about it, it's just like, you realize how many people are struggling with something similar and have just not been comfortable talking about it. And Mm -hmm. So, um, thank you for yes. speaking out because oh, yeah. it's a hard conversation for some people and they don't know how to initiate that. So, um, it's oh, it yeah. really, word of mouth has been fantastic for our business yeah. and people just talking about that. You can find help. And it really does oh, yeah. help kind of take the stigma away from pelvic floor PT and, you know, these issues of the pelvis in general, just making it normalized you know, having these harder conversations and being open with, with your, your friends, your family, you know, um, I know these things aren't always easy to talk about. So it is, um, I appreciate as well, having the opportunity to, to share with you and help kind of get rid of that stigma. All right. Well, without further ado, then I think that's a perfect segue to jump into some of these listener questions. Um, for the sake of time, I did have audio clips and everyone had given me permission to use their names, but I would love for us to get through all of these if possible. Um, so let's just jump in. The first question, I love that this listener sent it in. This is a young woman. She's single and she is going to have her first gynecological exam and she has battled vaginismus. And so she's wanting to know if you have any sort of advice or tips that you could provide for a young woman who's anticipating that rather intimate exam. I'm sure we could all remember what that was like. I mean, it's scary enough. And then when you have something else that you're struggling with, that you're anticipating, that's going to make things even more uncomfortable. So any tips or advice for someone with vaginismus? Um, yeah, so I was just going to explain what vaginismus is for any of the listeners who don't know. Yes, please. Um, so vaginismus is the involuntary contracting, tensing, or spasming of the muscles around the vagina with attempts of penetration into the vagina. Um, so people might realize they have this, um, when they have, are unable to, or have like a lot of pain with trying to insert a tampon, um, when they go to their first pelvic exam and, um, super painful, or they're unable to complete the exam because of, um, this condition, or for some women, it's the first time they attempt to have intercourse with their husband and they, it's not possible because of the pain and this spasming tightening of these muscles. Um, what I would say for someone going into their first gynecological exam is just open communication with your provider, letting them know that, you know, I have failed attempts at inserting a tampon or whatever has gone on, letting them know that there is pain there. Um, they can use a pediatric speculum. Um, that's an option. Um, instead of the regular size adult speculum, um, still that might be too uncomfortable, you know, for the, and the speculum, sorry to cut you off, Jamie, that's the instrument that the gynecologist is going to yes. insert into the okay. vagina, into the vagina. Yes. Um, to be able to complete a pelvic exam and 
a pap smear that a lot of women hear about. So um, they could also maybe use like offer a numbing topical cream for the patients. Um, but I think just having that open conversation, depending upon her age of when she's starting, I don't, the recommendations are always changing of when you need to have your first pelvic exam. Um, but in how many years, if you've had a clean one, um, but it might be something that they just hold on and maybe send her off to a pelvic floor physical therapist to help her manage her symptoms, her condition, so that she can go back and have a non-traumatizing experience at the gynecologist. Because sometimes those traumatizing gynecological first exams are what really can tailspin patients into a pain cycle. And we don't want that. You know, I mean, it just makes it, we've seen a lot of patients who have had trauma at the doctor's office, trauma in relationships, and that's kind of caused this vaginismus to be worse. And so, Mm -hmm. um, we never want to do that. And I think if you can take a, a step back and look at, you know, how can we improve our body so that we can tolerate this type of exam, um, is what we're here to help with. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just talk about kind of some of the things that we can do, you know, uh, in our office here to help prepare someone for that. Um, we can teach you how to breathe, which can be <laughs> <Yay>. super important <laughs> in helping with um, stimulating your, your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest, kind of some down training with that. And um, teaching our patients how they can tap into that during those uh, moments where maybe our fight or flight system wants to turn on. So, you know, knowing that this is could possibly be a painful experience for the patient, um, we can we can talk through different strategies of breathing or whatever that uh, rest and digest system um, can be stimulated with for that particular patient. Um, we teach. Uh, how to use dilators, vaginal dilators, um, for this particular patient population. That seems to be something that's really helpful for them. Um, and then if we need to, we offer a referral to different mental health practitioners in town that can also help with some more, um, more of that uh, down training or different uh, techniques to help reduce any anxiety or stress that might be kind of correlated to this um, fear. And with vaginismus, I I mentioned trauma, but it's not always trauma that can um, cause vaginismus. We don't always know why. Um, It can be something that starts in the teenage years and women, women start with young adult, young adult females, young adult, that doesn't (laughs) work. Um, (laughs) Well, maybe, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Um, young females uh, might notice it with like tampon use, um, but it can also happen later when pain, when sex was at pain-free at one point, and then after childbirth might develop it after having a hysterectomy, after trauma, after a bad fall, you know, different after an IUD insertion, you know, something like that Mm -hmm. can, um, also provoke this pain cycle. And so we've seen it throughout the life cycle with our patients and, um, definitely something we help treat, but an open conversation with your 
provider, your physician, your OB, GYN um, is what needs to happen so that you're not put into a situation where your body just is tensing up and just in a, um, in, in getting into a situation that's not going to be favorable for right. uh, body and um, the procedure that needs to happen. Right. Yeah. And for a first gynecological exam, I think so many young women, this is really a first time that you're put in a position to be um, able to be really assertive about what your physical needs are in terms of your pelvic health and what great practice, what great training ground for all of us to go into that first exam and say, okay, I'm uncomfortable with this. And I really need you as my provider to help me with this particular part of the exam, or even to know what's even going to happen at the exam. Cause as we know, some physicians are going to be phenomenal when it comes to anticipating what's going to happen next and talking through with the bedside manner of everything that's going to happen in that exam. And that's something that I wanted to be sure and mention in terms of what I have experienced with my pelvic floor physical therapy of Jamie has done such a tremendous job of trying to help me to anticipate, okay, today we're going to do internal work and this is what that's going to mean. And if you don't have an OBGYN being able to do that in that context, and this is your first pelvic exam, how much more stressful that would be. So I love that you're encouraging this listener to make sure that she's getting the information she needs. I love that she even asked this question in the first place, because it wouldn't have been on my radar to do that. Um, so yeah, I think you guys just nailed it. You hit it out of the park on this one. So thank you for answering that listener's question. Um, next one. I have a question for someone who is planning on having children, but is not pregnant yet. She's thinking about trying to conceive. Um, what kinds of things can a woman who's hoping to achieve a pregnancy anticipate in, in terms of things that she could do currently before pregnancy and then during pregnancy that could help her to have better pelvic floor health? Um, so Jamie and I really are uh, very passionate about um, women getting care during pregnancy, before, after, um, and we feel like this should just kind of be in the um, the the spectrum of of total care um, as as a a woman. I mean, a human. Yes, thank you. Say it again. Say it a million more times. Yes. <laughs> Put a pamphlet in every OBGYN's right? office. Continue. Go on. <laughs> yes. So uh, to prepare for pregnancy, you know, just making sure that you are exercising regularly. The uh, current recommendations are still 150 minutes of moderate uh, intensity aerobic activity uh, per week. And we ideally getting some strength training in uh, three to four times a week. <laughs> we work on that ourselves. That sounds good. We're working on that. <laughs> um, so, you know, making sure that you're doing those things, getting your regular gynecological exams. Um, and then, you know, that part of conception, you're going to be working with your gynecologist, your, your OBGYN with that, um, and possibly um, fertility uh, interventions if needed there. So, 
Um, and then, you know, in that early phase, if there are uh, in any impairments that we find as far as, you know, relating to your pelvic floor, we would address that at that point in time, right? So if you're experiencing any incontinence, um, any constipation, back pain, hip pain, um, that's something that we could look at at that point in time. And then as, um, at, you know, when you do conceive, um, we take a look at you in each of your trimesters. So we would like to do an assessment first, second, and third trimester. And then we'll keep up on your care if there's no issues. You know, if you're doing well, you're not having any pain, you're not having any leakage. Um, we typically just see you once during that first, once during the second. And then in your into your third trimester, we, we like to see patients around 34 weeks so that we can do some education on perineal stretching. How do we uh, breathe during labor? How do we position our body during labor to help uh, expedite delivery? Um, you know, and we can work with you throughout pregnancy to help um, get all of those uh, ducks in a row prior to your delivery as well. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of women want some guidance on um, how they can move their bodies. You know, they get nervous sure. of whether they hear a lot about diastasis recti, um, which is that separation of the abdominal muscles. They hear you shouldn't do planks, you know, and, or shouldn't run. And, you know, there is validity to um, our bodies have, are changing significantly. Absolutely. Significantly during pregnancy and postpartum with hormonal changes, the shape our bodies changing, center of gravity. Um, and so we, we need to understand that and things are going to change. And we like to be able to help people feel comfortable to still move their bodies and know appropriate ways to do that. So they feel safe, um, but also empowered to not just like be this um, passive driver in, in this process, because we can be a very active driver and be a big part of this to really improve how we feel and, um, and with our postpartum and recovery if we really take good care of ourselves. But um, I think we would love to just see everyone, <laughs> you know, from the beginning phase all the way to the end. And some women have been coming in on a more wellness, you know, like, I just want to make sure I have good. a healthy pregnancy, yeah. you know, and it's like, this wow. is incredible, you know, and it's like, you're actually doing a great job. Let's keep working on this. Um, but then we also have the other side of like, I have pain. I have dysfunction. This is going on. Can you help me? Of course we can. So, um, you don't have to be in pain. You don't have to have a problem. What say I it know. again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to come see us. Um, a lot of it is what can we do now to prevent issues and, um, that wellness preventative, um, approach. We really love working with those women as well. And, um, but yeah, come find someone, come see us, find someone, um, who can help you. And just, I, I promise it helps so much with being pregnant right now. You know, I, I still do. I, as a pelvic floor physical therapist, Stephanie treats me, you know, I'm having active yeah. treatment during this pregnancy and I, I, and I even know what to do with my body. And there's still times that I'm like, Ooh, I need stuff to work on me a little bit. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's convenient. That's awesome. Yeah, I right? love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that takes care of answering questions about antepartum and during pregnancy. And now I'd love to answer a listener question 
talking about within the context of marriage. And Jamie and I off the air exchanged a couple of emails about this question. And I love this question. I love this topic. And I wanted to make sure and answer it through a Catholic lens. So the listener was, she is super passionate about this topic. And she wanted to have both Jamie and Stephanie talk about how in pelvic floor physical therapy, some women struggle with being able to achieve an orgasm. And maybe both of you can help me with the pronunciation on this. It's anorgasmia. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, um, just wanting to support intimacy and marriage and making sure that women get the information they need and that they can take that information back to their conversations with their spouse. So, would love to hear your general tips, advice, um, pointers, resources. Where can people go? What can you tell us? SOS, help this yeah. listener and not necessarily the listener, but anyone who might be struggling and would like to get some help in this area. Yeah. You know, I think it's starting off by understanding our bodies and our anatomy. Um, this yes. is something you can explore with your heart, with your husband, with your spouse. And a lot of women respond more to clitoral stimulation. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if all of, you know, if we always understand our bodies, if we understand what our clitoris is, where it is, how it can be stimulated, um, and just the different areas of our vulva, our vagina, just knowing our bodies is super important. And then be able to share that with your partner and finding ways. And a lot of it can be exploration together, whether manual stimulation, um, use of a vibrator, whatever they're comfortable with. Um, but you know, just kind of our standard penetration does not always work for women. Um, with orgasm. Say it again. Repeat. This needs to be said. Thank you. Penetration alone (laughs) does not always lead to Sorry, that was really awkward that I asked you to repeat this. No, that's okay. (laughs) No, needs to be repeated. And so I I think um, just understanding that part of, you know, our bodies and that's what I think education, we just bring out our pelvic model a lot and explain these are our body parts. And it, that can be very eye-opening to a lot of people because um, they haven't always maybe had the comfort to really look or right. have their partner just straight up look, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Um, that's not our goal here, but um, I think if you're open to trying some of those things, you would be surprised at um, what your, what your body is aroused by. And for women, it can take longer than men for arousal. Yeah. So yeah. I, Repeat that for the people yeah. in the back. Right? So I think <laughs> that as well, um, that there can be a little bit of foreplay involved that, you know, that we can, that there needs to be some stimulation to the tissues and that we, as women aren't just always ready to go all the time. Right. And, um, and so much of it is a mind body experience. So the transition from whatever has been going on during the day that you're not able to go from one thing that you're doing to the next. And 
I love what you're saying about exploring together. And I should have prefaced our conversation by saying this. We exchanged some of those emails talking about this. So from a Catholic lens, we wouldn't try to encourage someone to, for example, do masturbation on their own because the goal is for husband and wife to come together in the marital act. But that doesn't mean that you can't explore together. And like Jamie was saying, manual stimulation, awesome. Trying to figure out what's going to work or bringing in something like a vibrator because the sexual union is not just about intercourse. I repeat, the sexual union is not just about intercourse. And Yes, we have the goal of the husband finishing, completing, ejaculating within his wife. But beyond that, in marriage, anything goes in terms of being able to be free and enjoy. And that's the best part of marriage. You get to just figure it out together. And yeah, it might be clumsy and awkward and you might not even know what works. And that's why you have the rest of God willing your life to figure it out together. And so I love that we're having this conversation because for most of us, we don't know what we're doing in the beginning. And why would we know what we're doing in the beginning? So if someone is struggling with this, this is good news that you have so many options. There is so much that you can do. And there's nothing wrong with you if you, as the woman, are struggling to achieve orgasm because it's not happening in intercourse. Um, actually, I think that makes you pretty normal yeah. based on the information that I've heard. Is Would yeah. you agree with that? Yes. I think that that is, like to touch on that piece, it's so important that women understand that the majority of women, it's like 50%, right? Like, isn't it something? I don't know the statistic, but um, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Cannot achieve orgasm with vaginal penetration alone. So there needs to be some type of external clitoral stimulation or whatever stimulation that is. Um, You know, you can try stimulating different body parts. Um, That can also help lead to that orgasm. But I think that's one of the biggest pieces of this is just knowing that you aren't alone, that this isn't an abnormal thing. Um, that as you said earlier, like we're just, we're not just ra- raring to go at the drop of a hat, right? It's oftentimes we're kind uh, of like, no, out <laughs> by the end of the day, right? Uh, yes. Yes. So, t- you know, knowing that it may take a little bit more time, as you mentioned, you know, I think again, average time frame for a woman to achieve orgasm is anywhere from like 15 to 45 minutes. So it, it does take some time. <laughs> and um, the other part of it is just communication. You know, sometimes this is really difficult stuff to articulate, uh, to share with your spouse that, you know, yes, that feels good. Um, so I think just being open and willing to have these more um, difficult conversations with your your significant or with your husband about this. And yeah. I was, I was going to add from, you know, a pelvic floor PT perspective also, I mean, education on your body is a big part of what we do. But, um, as we mentioned much earlier in this podcast that our pelvic floor muscles do play a part in the sexual arousal orgasm. So we can look at the muscles of the pelvic floor. We want to look at how they coordinate, you know, and sometimes it can be, we can work on some strength and coordination to help with orgasm as well. Um, sure. so there's that part. And then, you know, there's other conditions that can happen through the pelvic floor, um, and our vulva 
And so if you've done some of this with your partner, with your husband, your spouse, and it's still not working, I would go to your provider and let them know, you know, um, to see if there's something else going on. Um, you know, there, there could be another condition that maybe could be looked into, you know? Um, so I wouldn't give up hope. Um, I would try and know that there are resources out there, um, through pelvic floor therapist and again, open communication with some of your providers, um, to, if, if you've already, if you've tried, um, some of the other things we talked about. Well, that dovetails perfectly because next I was going to get into some of the listener questions about postpartum healing and childbirth trauma. What are the limitations of physical therapy? And at what point do you, as a physical therapist, encourage your patient to say, you know, I think it's time for you to look into surgery or meeting with this type of specialist? You've already spoken to the cognitive um, psychological dimension with the pelvic floor. What other types of situations would you say where you meet the limitations of physical therapy? Is that making sense? Yeah, yeah it does. I mean, our approach, we're non-surgical, non-pharmacologic. So, you know, at, but it's a nice place to start. It's very conservative. Yeah. You know, it's not going to hurt our body to do any of this. We're not going to regret a decision of a surgery or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, there are cases for sure where we are, have kind of, this is a maximal um, improvement that we're probably going to see with what we can do. So we always will refer on if we have just kind of tapped out of like what we're able to provide as a resource anymore. Um, and, you know, I think of that with um, pelvic organ prolapse, you know, there are times where it is severe enough where it is causing change, you know, detriments and quality of life, right. things that you would like to do throughout the day. It's really impacting your um, activities of daily living on a daily basis. Um, pain, pressure, pelvic floor PT before is great because it teaches you about your body and how to do, um, how to coordinate the way we want. But sometimes yes, a pelvic organ prolapse surgery is needed or something like a pessary um, that uh, Catherine, you spoke about during your last episode. Um, But there, um, so definitely that, that type of is beyond us. I can't sling your bladder or take out your, you know, like (laughs) you're not gonna be able to do that. Um, As far as um, pharmacological, you know, some of our chronic pain patients, they're going to need some some other stuff on board to help out just with pain relief, pain management, as much as we um, maybe like to get people off some prescriptions, they are needed for um, um, nerve pain, um, muscle spasms, um, hormonal um, treatments we're not doing. Um, So the body's, you know, a whole system that is complicated and it's complex. And we're just a little part of that. we love when we can help patients, but we're not afraid to um, know where our limitations are and um, send people off if needed and help them find yeah. the right person for them. Right. Yeah. And I think anyone who is empowered to get themselves the help that they need realizes that not it's not going to be a one-stop shop anywhere you go. No one... Um, 
no one person is going to fix everything that you've got going on. So I really appreciate you saying that. That's awesome. Okay. I want to make sure we get to all these. So I'm going to go as quickly as I can. Um, and then going back to that question about um, struggling with orgasm in marriage, I wanted to be sure and mention that I'm going to include a great article that I found in the show notes that I shared with Jamie, and I'll link to that for everyone to check out. Um, okay. I have a listener question. She had a vaginal birth and this was several years ago. And she basically wants to know how severe do things have to get before you look into pursuing PT? She had a quick delivery, quick labor and delivery, and she pees when she sneezes and coughs. And when she works out doing a jumping movement makes her pee. And she's not even confident that she's doing Kegels correctly. So I think I know what the answer is going to be, but I'll hand it over to you. Um, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but it doesn't have to be severe at all. I would just almost come in postpartum, come see us, you know, but um, if there is anything that you feel like you can't do because of pain, pain, you should see a professional. There are people who can help you, you know, just because it might be um, common, it's not normal. We can help you with these things. Um, um, but with, you know, the coffee, with the peeing while coughing, sneezing, working out, that's very, we, again, we see that a lot with our patient population. It's about looking at the coordination of the pelvic floor muscles, how we're managing intra-abdominal pressure and looking at our body mechanics. So, mm-hmm. um, that's something that is very individual to every person. I wish I could say, go to www. You know, fixmypelvicfloor.com. I don't know if it's out. I'm sure that is out there. You should I, buy I that. I wouldn't <laughs> answer that. Every person deserves to have their own individual body looked at and assessed to know what's right for them. Um, yeah. And so I just encourage people to have that looked at because what works for one person will not work for another. Um, it's not a one size fits all. Um, and as far as, you know, not knowing if she's doing Kegels correctly, um, I would maybe kind of be a devil kind of come back on this and be like, why does she think you need to be doing Kegels? Because Kegels are not really anything that we prescribe, you know, as far as an exercise. So who, who told you and why, and that's completely fine if you want to be doing them, but if a lot of women's magazines told me, I I know, (laughs) I know. And that really is unfortunate. Um, but if Kegels worked, we would not have a job. So let's just say that. Um, (laughs) um, and we are, we have a job and we're busy. So Kegels are not (laughs) always the answer. I do think learning how to coordinate your pelvic floor, how to contract it, how to relax it, um, is super important. We will a lot of times teach people kind of how they can feel their pelvic floor through breath to connect there because the diaphragm, the abdominal muscles and the pelvic floor all work together. So that's how we can connect there. Learning that you shouldn't be using your inner thighs or your glutes if you're trying to contract your pelvic floor. But again, it's, it's a much bigger system than just your pelvic floor alone. And if there's anything I could um, make sure people go away with is our pelvic floor doesn't work in isolation that way. And you need to have your whole body looked at to figure out um, what's going on and how you can best be treated. Yeah. 
Her last question was wanting to know for future pregnancy, she hopes to have more children, what advice you have. I know we've already talked a little bit about this, but I think the main thing that I keep hearing from both of you is get help, find out what exercises you can be doing to help strengthen things so that you can be in the best physical shape possible for supporting a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. Is there anything beyond that you would say? Well, and strength is important, but also when it comes to labor and delivery, your uterus pushes your baby out. You want your pelvic floor muscles to get out of the way. So knowing how to stretch and lengthen them is just as important as strength, you know? Um, so I think it's learning that balance. Um, but we hear it a lot. People come call, I want to come in for pelvic floor strengthening to deliver my baby. And yes, you know, then we have the long conversation of, well, actually we need those pelvic floor muscles to do this. But, um, I think learning how the pelvic floor should coordinate with the rest of our body is what's going to set you up for a healthy pregnancy and postpartum. Oh yeah. I mean, you saying that just now you totally schooled me because I think at least half of our conversations when I come in are about, okay, we have a lot of tension. We need to relax. We need to let the muscles go. And it, why am I zeroing in on the strengthening? I even know this, but it's, it's true. Okay. That was awesome. Good job. Okay. And Siri thinks that I'm talking to her again. Okay. Goodbye, Siri. Um, okay. The next listener had a question about having a really large, I had never heard of this before. I had to look it up a sulcus tear. So my understanding is that is a deep internal inside the vaginal wall tear that happens during labor and delivery. Yowza, four inches. Um, and she says that now years later, she has pain around the time of menstruation and wants to know if this could be related to this injury. And she's hoping to get more active, but she's struggling with that and some knee pain. So I know that those are two different issues there. I want to tag on to this. I have always battled perineal pain during menstruation. And I'm wondering if what I'm experiencing is related to what she's experiencing, if it must be a hormonal something happening to be targeting those tissues during menstruation. Sure. So oftentimes we do see patients' um, symptoms kind of increase around the time of ovulation and the time of menstruation. So definitely there could be a connection there. Um, You know, I it's hard to know this without a, an assessment of this pelvic sure. floor. Um, so, but it could absolutely be connected to that. I would say it's probably highly likely that it is connected there, but again, you know, hard to say without actually um, getting our hands on the patient and being able to assess. Um, sure. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the sulcus tear, there's lots of different tearing that can happen during um, vaginal deliveries. Um, the most common is going to be like a perineal tear where you tear from the vagina towards your rectum. Episiotomy is where they cut you and didn't tear naturally. Um, but you can tear in any direction and how our body heals is through scar tissue. And so, um, having that address scar tissue, how the uh, mobility of, um, the scar and the surrounding tissues and nerves that can all probably play into effect a little bit of some of the symptoms she might be having or that patients might have 
um, postpartum. So it's kind of scary to think about touching that area, like being aware of that area, but that might be the cause of some pain with intercourse after um, delivering a baby, um, pain with using a tampon, different things like that. So you definitely, any scar tissue of the body, I don't care what type of surgery you had um, or needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and for me, having a C-section with our last baby was major abdominal surgery. And I had no stinking idea that doing the massage on the scar tissue was even a thing until Jamie suggested it at one of our appointments. So I cannot even fathom, well, I had third degree tears with our first delivery, but I cannot fathom having this kind of a birthing injury, like this listener is talking about internally and having that kind of pain ongoing and maybe not having pursued the kind of scar tissue healing that I've pursued with Jamie, Mm -hmm. because maybe if she had some sort of internal work to try and help with that scar tissue, that she might experience some sort of relief depending on what's going on. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to make sure and honor your time, but we already talked a little bit about this next question about when surgery might seem necessary. Um, I asked initially when I wrote this down, why physical therapy would still be a good idea. Even if someone like myself, I know Jamie and I have talked in the past about how I am most definitely a surgical candidate, but I am not yet at the end of my childbearing years and I'm not ready to pursue surgery because, um, basically if I did have surgery and then had another biological kiddo that that would probably undo any gains that I had made there. So in the meantime, why would physical therapy still be a good option for someone who is a surgical candidate? So, um, we talk a lot about prehab in the orthopedic world, and this just help. This is just a term to, that we use for patients that are going to go through, you know, knee surgery, hip surgery, whatever it is. They're coming to see physical therapists prior to, so that they can strengthen, they can gain range of motion, um, to basically optimize their surgical outcomes. So it's the same in this um, consideration with surgery for pelvic organ prolapse. We want to make sure uh, to identify any underlying things that might be driving the symptoms that are there or the condition. You know, oftentimes we have poor management of our pressure systems. And that is the thing that has maybe maybe not caused pelvic organ prolapse, but it has certainly not helped uh, us manage the condition at all. And so if we don't identify those underlying factors of things that are like driving this or making it worse, exacerbating it, um, we, we really are doing the body a disservice because ultimately what we see here is that those, you know, the symptoms that you're suffering from before you go under um, to have this surgically repaired, they don't just magically go away after surgery or I know. Or, you know, you have the surgery and you, you do get better, your symptoms go away, but then five or 10 years down the road, those symptoms start creeping back in. And it's because we didn't ever get to the root of the problem. We didn't ever figure out why we were having this uh, prolapse issue to begin with. So that is why we think it's so important to um, come in for PT prior to um, surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause if someone has surgery and then they still like me, don't know how to breathe. 
they're just going to mess it all up again. Or <laughs> Something as simple as that. We're chronically constipated and straining yes. and bearing down all the time. You know, we talk to people all the time about like, if you're going to stay constipated and bear down and strain, that's going to keep putting pressure on pelvic floor on those organs. So it's managing that. How do we lift our children? How do we carry the laundry up the stairs? You know, all these yeah. things that we're doing all day long are contributing if we're not using the right mechanics and coordinating our body properly. So we help with that. So that surgery is then successful and you don't have to go right. back for, you know, uh, a second procedure, which we see a lot, unfortunately, you know, yeah. um, and that's usually sometimes after the second time people come in, cause they're like, I realized yeah. <laughs> this is the bandaid, but we need to fix what's mm -hmm. the problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Getting to the root of it, preventing what you can. And yeah. then when someone has to have surgery, they get the surgery done and you're keeping us out of the OR a second time, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. And surgery is yeah. not a failure. You know, I feel like sometimes people right. think like I failed something that I have to have. And it's not, you know, our bodies have gone through so much. The demands on them are so high. Um, but yeah, what can we do to make this be the best surgery outcome we can have? Awesome. Well, yeah. that was my last question that I had. I want to make sure before I let you go, how can people find you online? Where can they find you empower physical therapy? Tell us everything. Yes. So we are, yes, we're empower physical therapy. Um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, we are located by the super target, which everyone should know, but at 40th and Yankee Hill, um, our website, you can find us there, www.empowerptlincoln.com. We're also on Instagram. I think it's empowerpt underscore LNK. Um, you can email us, contact us from off the website, call us um, 402-413-0266. Um, but we, and we're happy to answer questions or feel, you know, kind of decide if you're a right person for pelvic floor PT, but, um, I think we would just encourage whether it's us or anyone else, you know, find someone who can help you. Absolutely. Yeah. We, there's a lot of great providers out there and if anything, just let them assess you and figure out what your body needs. I think that's a perfect closing thought. And I think um, one more thing I wanted to make sure that we touched on before I let you go is kind of helping people to anticipate what that first contact looks like with your physical therapist when it comes to pelvic floor physical therapy, because as listeners might have been able to connect the dots on if they've never done this before, it's pretty intimate and it's, it puts you in a pretty vulnerable position. So maybe if you have time, could you share, um, just briefly what someone could anticipate in terms of what their first pelvic, I know it depends on what you're coming in for. Um, but just when it comes time for that first appointment where you're gathering information and getting to know one another, what that looks like. So that first visit, we are going to spend a lot of time going over the, um, ridiculously long pelvic floor intake packet that you have <laughs> to fill out before you come see us. Um, but I have to say, I appreciate how thorough it is. It yes. is, it makes you feel heard and seen as a patient to have someone taking the time to be so thorough, to find out exactly what's going on. Like you said, to get to the root of what's going on. It gives us such a, a better idea of what's going on before we even walk in the door with you. So um, that first visit is a lot of talking, a lot of listening, a lot of hearing your story. 
Um, and then we're going to look at your body from head to toe. We're going to watch how you walk. We're going to watch how you get in and out of a chair. Um, we're going to look at your feet. We're going to assess your strength, range of motion. Um, and then if the patient is consenting, we will go through an internal, either vaginal or rectal exam. And that's one gloved finger. Um, all of the providers here use, uh, Jamie, myself, and our physical therapist, Mariana, use a bimanual approach, meaning we assess and treat the right side of your body with our right hand and walk around the table, assess and treat the left side of your body with our left hand. Um, and that giving that picture of the pelvic floor then gives us kind of the last little piece of the puzzle um, as the body is working in the system as a whole. Um, depending on your complaints, we may have you do some functional movements. Um, so we may do a standing intravaginal assessment with you because a lot of times while we know how to coordinate pelvic floor uh, lying on our back, we do not know how to do that while standing on our feet and gravity is against us. Um, and we may have you go through some functional movements like squatting or um, you know, doing maybe like a deadlift while we are doing that intravaginal assessment again, just to get a better picture of what is driving your symptoms. And then we come up with a awesome. treatment plan. Um, yeah. And let you know. Yeah. Give you some things to work on at home. Yep. And awesome. Yeah. I know I totally just threw that out there and you aced it. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both so much for your time. Jamie, great to see you as always. And Stephanie, I'm glad we got to meet on here. Yes. You all are doing such a wonderful service by providing this in the community. And I have had so many women already reach out to me to say, oh my gosh, I'm thrilled to know that they're in town. This is fantastic. So thank you for what you're doing. I hope today's conversation helps someone out there to feel understood and seen and to hopefully get in touch with, if not you, someone in their area that can help them to get the healing and help that they need. So thank you again. And I will link to everything that you said in the show notes so that people can find you. I hope right. you have a good rest of your evening. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Until next time, I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. Continue the conversation with the people in your life and share what you heard while you were folding. <laughs>